All right, let's do this. How are you? What the fuckers? What the fuck buddies? What the fucking ears? What the fuck adelics? How's it going? That was my psychedelic noise. Now I keep doing it. That's my impression of nitrous. You ever been, you ever taken a hit of nitrous and then you sort of you kind of go out and then reality comes back like that. I'm sorry. What is happening? I I'm Mark Marin. This is my podcast. WTF? Thank you for listening. There is a point to me addressing uh, mind altering business. My guest today is Shane Moss. He's a comic. He is uh, touring his show. He is a, uh, a psychedelic explorer. He's, he's on tour right now, and he's still got 20 cities to go, and he'll be setting up some international dates. You can go to ShaneMoss.com for dates and locations. That's Shane, M-A-U-S-S.com. A psychedelic explorer. There's a whole new approach to it these days. It's not all uh, Grateful Dead music and uh, dancing around in a circle quickly, making the people around you uncomfortable. Uh, it, there, I've talked to a lot of people. A lot of it's it's going around, man. Ayahuasca is uh, is is the new brain cleansing. If you want to sort of cleanse the your your psychic palate of all your stress and anxiety and just uh, hit reset. There's some part of me that wants to buy into that. The, 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 the dumb little drug addict in me is like, yeah, maybe, maybe, I, maybe ayahuasca is the thing that will have all the answers for a little while. The Carnegie Hall posters, which no one had any time to buy at Carnegie Hall, are now available at WTFPod.com. They're hand-printed, hand-screened, signed posters. Very um, old school, kind of like the 50s, groovy jazz posters. I'm, I love the poster. They're up. They're available. They're 40 bucks, and they're beautiful, and they're worth it, and I'll sign them. All right, WTFPod.com. New Carnegie Hall posters. Go get them if you want them. Nice Christmas gift. All right, moving on. The best trip I ever had was when me and my roommate Lance took some shrooms in the middle of the day, which is the only time to do it as far as I'm concerned. Because if you do it at night, uh, it could get scary outside. If you don't have to travel too far, maybe you're in a concert situation. But if you're going to trip at night and you're alone, you better have the fortitude to handle it because people become sweaty and creepy pretty quick their faces get large and uh they they have bad intentions and they're surrounding you and they can see that you're 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 having a hard time swallowing and you're sweating chemicals and then you end up locked in your apartment or your house just for safety as you bounce off the fucking walls on ancient hallucinogenic substances but one time in Boston, me and my buddy Lance took mushrooms. We just set out to walk to the aquarium from Fenway all the way down. Just walking, enjoying the day. Beautiful sunlight out. Everything was crisp. Everybody was one thing. It was all perfect. We were all just sort of kind of humming at the same frequency. There was no distance between me and a rock and that guy across the street. Everything was connected, moving through the day. And then we got down to Faneuil Hall and the bricks there, the old bricks, they were kind 
kind of a problem. They made every it made it very difficult to walk because everything was tilting and shaking and moving around. Those bricks were dancing because they're ancient bricks and I was connected to them and they were not happy. They were all smushed up next to each other and they had been for centuries and they wanted to be free. So they were shaking. And I remember we were walking. We needed something to drink badly because you get that weird thirst when you're tripping. You get that weird thirst. You're thirsty in every cell of your body and nothing will taste better than a cold beer. And we stood there at a bar that was sort of half outside and they were cutting oysters open. They were shucking oysters and we were sitting there having a pint of beer watching them shuck those oysters and we were tripping balls. And I swear in that moment, they popped those shells open and I saw those oysters take their last prehistoric breath a breath that is part of a legacy of millions of years of shellfish with weird wavy deformed shells just <gasps> gasping that was upsetting that was upsetting there was no doubt that it was upsetting i remember we saw some weird dirty business on the common some surveillance situation there were cops involved and we were going to solve the mystery but we didn't want to chime in because we were tripping balls and then and then we kept moving and we got to the entrance of the aquarium and we just wanted to go look at fish that seemed like a decent thing to do to just stick your nose up against the glass to see the dinosaurs move around in the liquid and then we were sitting there and two things happened that were jarring and memorable not the you want some meat you need some meat not that guy he didn't come up but i did see a seagull with a leftover with the remains of an eaten chicken wing in its beak and i thought that's an indicator of the end of all things and then a blind man approached us with a cane he was walking with his cane and he said could someone help me could somebody help me? And me and my friend Lance were tripping balls and trying not to laugh. We wanted to help out. But when you're tripping balls, everything is funny. Or maybe one thing is funny and it just lasts a really long time and infects everything else with the funny. And then you're just on the the humming frequency of everything and all things. And then just above it, you're riding the laughing frequency that just hums along on top of it and it's hard to stop but we pulled it together we sucked it up and we said where do you need to go pal where can we walk you and he goes i need to get tickets to the whale watch oh that was rich that was rough the old blind guy is asking me and my roommate lance and we're tripping balls on shrooms to walk him to the ticket office for the whale watch but there was something in our hearts that Realize that this was a serious situation. Who are we to judge? What do we know what people can feel? Maybe we should close our fucking eyes and get on a boat and see the whales. Right? This guy was much different than us in the way that he operated at a different frequency all the time. His senses were jacked all the time. He just wanted to listen to the water and feel the air and feel the breeze and feel the motion of the water underneath the boat and maybe hear that whale, that dinosaur, blow some water out of its spout hole and then feel the massive connection of that to him, to his ears, to all things. And that's without the fucking mushrooms. So we did that for him. We walked him and he got his tickets and then we went out and went in, then we went in to the aquarium and pressed our faces up against a giant circular tank at the center of the Boston Aquarium and watched all levels of fish just move through their fucking frequency. We were outside of it, but we were definitely in it. 
See, I told you about that tripping story. There were some bad ones where I decided the acid wasn't working, so I took more. Never a great idea. But there's only a handful of times in my life, and I can't say that I ever took any journeys that were enlightening. Yet, poetically, in recounting that story, it was. It was. Sometimes your memories are what you have. Sometimes post-trip is where you figure it out. During the trip, you think it may not ever end and that you'll always have that cathartic, sort of enlightened truth uh, kind of humming around you as you sweat. But it's when you come down where you kind of extrapolate from actual things that happened that may add to the poetry or wisdom of your life. But I don't buy it's a reset button. I don't buy that it's a cure for depression. But what do I know? It's been a long time. Do you know what I'm saying? Shane Moss knows. Shane Moss knows. Shane Moss is a comic I'd known for a while. And uh, and we talked, man. You know, he got me literally when we were talking about this, talking to a guy, talking about tripping and uh, talking about hallucinogens and talking about them in a logical, almost scientific way, yeah, it got me kind of squirrely and excited, and I felt that weird tingle. But uh, but I just I just listened. So this is me and Shane Moss um, talking about that. As I said before, he's got, he's on tour right now. He's got twenty about twenty cities left to go, and and he'll be setting up some international dates soon so go to shanemoss.com for dates and locations that's shane m a u s s .com this is me and shane talking shane moss is that it yep Moss. Yeah, thanks for asking. Yeah, I usually remember to tell people ahead of time because everyone always screws it up. Like, what do they get? And I get a lot of mouse, which I actually think is how it's maybe supposed to be pronounced because I know there's German people that have it the same pronunciation, and that's how they mouse. They say mouse, and and that's it's a German name. So I'm pretty sure I've been saying it wrong my whole life. But German uh, name. So you have, but you have no identification with. German relatives or anything else just kind of came down on you. Yeah, yeah. I, no my, German grandmother. I think I'm like 75% Irish, actually. I'm only like 25%. What's German. that name? Uh, Leopard. Leopard? Yeah. That's Irish? I guess. I don't know. Who's that? Your mom's side? To, yeah, that's my mom's side. A lot of Irish people? Uh, yeah, yeah. Pretty Irish. I can't remember the last time. I guess the last time I saw you was, uh, I not saw you, but you did one of these way back. It was a live one yeah. from Aspen. From that comedy festival, well, and then it? we did Austin. Um, you were on that one too. Yeah, yeah, South by Southwest. Um, I was on. I'm just trying to recall, yeah. like the first, like I didn't know you that well, but the first time you were, you know, on the up and up, you were married. You were. I, I wasn't married, but right. I, it felt like I was going to be. I was definitely in. A, I, I thought I was going to be spending my life with with someone at the time. Yeah, I just had you pegged as a sort of like, well, he's gonna have a rough go at it. That guy's <laughs> a little too straight. 
to be doing stand-up. Uh, well, fortunately, I was a wild alcoholic, so yeah. that, that, that made me different and interesting. <laughs> really different being an alcoholic in comedy. That's very unique. See, because like, I, didn't, I didn't know anything. About, I didn't know that about you. Where did yeah, you yeah. grow up? Um, I grew up in Wisconsin, a small town in Wisconsin, like, like very Pleasantville-ish. It's w- a, near what city? Well, you might know La Crosse, Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. Um, it's on the border of Minnesota and Iowa. It's like directly in between um, Milwaukee and Minneapolis. Uh, right. I don't know. Back in the day, maybe you did. I've work been at to both those places there or something like I've that. I've been I've been to Milwaukee. I've been to uh, Minneapolis, but I don't know if I know or, the uh, or Madison and Minneapolis. Oh, Madison, Minneapolis. Um, well, those are two pretty smart cities. Nice places. Yeah, but in between that is nothing but farms and stuff, and, and it's very. I I had a very very wholesome uh, upbringing, very, yeah. it, and I I couldn't stand it. It drove me crazy. What, was the, I were, was was your family in farming? No, but I mean, my 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 mom's dad was a farmer. My my dad's dad had d- did some farming. Right. Also worked at a factory as well, but also had a little farm. And and what'd your something. old man do? Um, my dad has a business making countertops. Um, and so I was working since the age of like nine or ten for him here for and Micah? there. And yeah, some for Micah Corian. And uh, What's that one? now Corian. What is that? It's um, it's like for Micah. Yeah, yeah. Any stone tops? Stone. Uh, he just started doing stone a, a few years ago. Yeah, got marble. Into, yeah, you have to buy like a way more expensive machines and equipment to cut through that stuff. So he thought he, he paid he off, huh? It. Yeah, yeah. Is it paying off for him? <laughs> yeah, it is. He's really? Still, yeah, he's doing. Yes, he I mean, uh, his business is like five employees or something like but does that. But he have a showroom? the machines do everything. Does he have a showroom where you walk yeah, in yeah, and you're like, oh, yeah. He has yeah, a big showroom. Is... Yeah, he does, he does pretty well. For My dad's not a guy that spends money. Yeah. So I don't know how much he actually has in the bank. But he's, he's the a counter guy. He's frugal guy. He's, yeah, like contractors are like, we got a counter guy. Yeah, my, my dad's this hardworking, I mean, both my parents, just 90 hours a week. And I saw it growing up, and I was just like, no way. Was your mom in the I same business? No, my mom my mom was just a receptionist for a clinic, and then everything was fine until she be. Now she's a supervisor for a clinic, and she's just overworked and my mom's a perfectionist and cares way too much about yeah. every little thing yeah and so she she works 90 hours a week where when she absolutely wouldn't have to what clinic what kind of clinic it, it, just a just a little health hospital cl- a health clinic yeah so there you are so you're not in farming you're in this little town yeah in wisconsin yeah hard-working counter-making pop yeah you're in the shop cutting formica <laughs> yeah, yeah, and uh, and I was always very rebellious. I was raised very strict, uh, and, and and I was raised very in a very religious upbringing. Which religion? Uh, Catholic. And really, I, I think a lot of people had it much worse than I did as far as how strict my parents were as far as that goes. Like, I went to a public high school yeah. and everything. You got brothers and sisters? Yeah, I have a sister who's five years younger and a brother who's nine years younger, and we get along great. How old are you? I'm 36. No I had kidding. To think about that for a second. That's funny. So you still got like uh so all right. You're pretty young people. Yeah, yeah. You got like a little brother. Yeah, yeah. But he's like 
he he's married and has a, a really good job and and is doing really well for himself doing computer programming stuff. How about this? He's, sis? he's the one that's my sister. She's she's doing great. She's taking over my dad's business. She's uh, doing. She's in the countertop biz. But what were you going to say so about I'm, your brother? I'm more the failure. Oh yeah. My my brother is definitely he he's the one that's kind of killing it. Made it on his own and is making good money and and. Well, he uh, chose a skill, yeah, so Shane. He I chose a like, skill. I he, know. He, he, he chose a... Uh, hey, little brother, can I borrow some money? Has that happened yet? <laughs> it, it happened. It happened for this tour that I'm putting together. It was the first time, actually. It was, yeah? We were just talking about it on the phone, and I was, talking about, I was like, ah, I don't know if I'm going to have enough money for all this marketing that I want to do. And he's doing well, so he's like, what do you need? And I'm like, oh, no. Am I really just about to borrow money from, but he offered my, it up. from my little brother? Oh, he's great. I mean, yeah. we're, we're like best friends. Really? Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's we, great. We have a wonder... We've always had a great relationship. My sister and I didn't always yeah. get along. She's the middle. Up. She's in the middle. Yeah, like you know, she would tell on me. I was always getting into trouble, and she was the one that would that would narc on me when I when yeah. I was a kid. What so. kind of trouble? Um, I got into. I mean, I was just as rebellious as you could as I could but possibly did you set, be set fire to be, things be, you... before before <laughs> drugs. Yeah, yeah, I was into like. If I could vandalize, I I did a lot of. This is it's so embarrassing to talk about yeah. now. This is incredibly embarrassing. But I used to blow up mailboxes. That oh, was that, that, you were was, one of those that was my big thing. Yeah, with M eighty, humiliating. No, uh, these little these little bombs you put in a uh, soda bottle and, and oh yeah, put. You, you had to make a bomb. <laughs> yeah, to I'm, blow up mailboxes, and you'd stand there and watch it happen. Yeah, I would. Well, that's part of the. You talking of it. about? Like mailboxes in front of homes or like in USPS? Like... It, no, in front of homes. Oh, yeah, yeah. Just, just <laughs> no. I think I think you weren't Robert De Niro put... in uh, in Mean Streets walking away from the the mailbox on the street and it blows up. I think one of my friends did that once. Actually, oh, he stepped uh, up. Huh? Yeah, he went on to, yeah, to full felony yeah. vandalism. And I remember it was so stupid too. <laughs> we we would always it'd always be like kids that we didn't like in school like oh, we'd yeah. get their parent like somehow their parents mailbox you had an agenda up. you're like we'll show them <laughs> yeah yeah uh also uh, the 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 closest call that i had was uh a vice principals because screw that guy yeah like a middle school you, vice. you principal. showed him blew up his mailbox <laughs> yeah. and uh yeah it was i i remember uh, one of my, uh, I was gonna show a, a new group of friends this new fun hobby of mine, yeah. blowing up mailboxes. Yeah. Sure, <laughs> you got to be a leader. Yeah, <laughs> and it was it was day daytime, it's daylight and everything, and it was shortly after school, and we we went. It was my vice principal lived near my one of my friends' house, and we all I think there was probably six, eight of us, something like that, if I remember right. You know, I put it all together, throw it in the mailbox, we start bicycling away, and then the vice principal drives home, and he drives right past us and sees us, and his mailbox is about to blow up, so he's going to know that it's us. (laughs) And so one of my friends is, well, I mean, we're all freaking out, but one of my friends is like, I'm going to go and get it. I'm I'm like, no, you aren't. That's a bomb. That's (laughs) It explodes, so you want to stay away from it. And he's like, no, no, I'm going to go get it. And I'm like, no, no, it's just about to go off. 
and he <laughs> and he he ran over. He grabbed the uh, the the uh, bottle out of the and it must have been hot as hell. You could see it was like bubbling. Yeah, and all, it was just about to go. Uh, it was all warped and whatnot, and and uh, and so it must have been hot. So he threw it quickly into the street. Yeah, and just then a car was driving by. And it exploded under the car, and then it shot out and knocked over the mailbox. <laughs> Come on. That he was trying. That actually happened, I promise you. And we all biked away. We didn't get in trouble for that. But the I, car I eventually didn't stop? got in trouble. Um, I think the car stopped, and we we just like biked away as fast as we could. So it didn't like it didn't take the car out. Nah, there nah. Was a it, it wasn't that powerful. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Like I said, it's, yeah. it's enough to destroy a mailbox. But so not, you're you're just. Uh, so when did you become worse news? What did you get caught for doing? Well, I mean, I got caught for blowing up. One day we went on a whole tirade where we had a toilet string. paper and eggs and got like 10 mailboxes and paintballs 36 how old was that happening so this would have been like 94 so you were how old like 13 14 right okay yeah, yeah. yeah right around that age yeah this and is what you do as opposed to girls yeah 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 well, well because you want girls yeah. and you have no idea how to do that so, yeah, so put that energy into something uh, yeah. better than that <laughs> yeah um, and then, I mean, I just, I was up for what, like, I, I liked breaking into places and stuff, not, not to like steal anything to, I, I liked climbing on top of like our school or whatever and, yeah. and like partying up there. Sure. And, stuff. and, um. So when did this partying, what were you just boozing? No, but drugs didn't start until I was like 15. Um, so I this was just with, pure yeah, just rage and excitement. Yeah, yeah adrenaline. Just, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Just trying to. Uh, I mean, I'm still an idiot. I still like. I'm still an adrenaline junkie. Yeah. Big time gets me in a lot of trouble. But I. Um, well, what do you do? Drive fast? Jump out of planes? Yeah. I. I mean, I. I jump off things that are too high. I've hurt myself before, and and really, yeah, yeah. I. I mean, I. I remember I did skydiving once. You um, did. Is on my birthday a few years ago, and I remember I jumped out of the plane, and I'm like hurling towards the ground, and I remember thinking like, man, this is so boring. <laughs> I can't believe how boring this is. Like, I built it up in my mind that this is going to be like a big rush, and I was just like, huh. Didn't get high, huh? No. I remember, because there's like a second little pull, like yeah. a first little shoot comes out, and you feel it. Yeah. And But it's not, and I thought that was it, and so I was like, oh, something <laughs> must be going wrong. <laughs> yeah. I, I guess something went wrong, and I guess I'm going to die right now, and I remember just like looking down at this hot... I was just like very indifferent about it at the time. Um, and <laughs> I remember looking down at this house that we were like right on top of. And I was like, man, I'm just going to like fly through this guy's roof and end up in his. Li-. I remember just like giggling to myself that I'm just going to crash into his lip. He's just yeah. sitting there watching TV. Yeah. And unfortunately, I'm about to be hurling through. <laughs> That's his, what you're thinking. You're worried about his, that guy, yeah, not yeah. you. It's going to be a bad to, day for that guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I value life more than I used to now. <laughs> now? Oh, now. good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, but, well, what happened when the second shoot came? Did you feel the rush then? Then I was like, this is uncomfortable now because it's a nice view and everything, but now I got this guy just like breathing. Stra- oh, he's strapped to you, right? Yeah, and and I don't, I don't, 
mind that as much, but it's so uncomfortable. The harness is yeah. like it's it's very uh, it, it's yeah. Forget it you hurts. have to. I forgot you have to it do it in tandem. Testicles. It hurts yeah. your balls. It hurts your balls quite a bit. Oh, um, so that don't, wasn't don't care for, you. for that part. So yeah, you, now you just <laughs> jump off small buildings. But yeah, yeah. I I broke my feet a couple of years ago. Um, I remember that happening. So like, so now you're 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 running around blowing up mailboxes. Are you failing out of school and everything? Um, yeah, I mean, I was always <laughs> just naturally, when I, especially, I mean, I was always like a C student. I, yeah. In math class, I'd I'd get, like, I could teach math. I always got really straight A's. I was always amazing at math. I never had to pay any attention. I would be sleeping through class, and they'd wake me up, and so I could math solve head. every... Yeah. I, still? Uh, yeah, I know math pretty well still. Um, like I mean, how high? Like guy. algebra? Uh, I mean, I can do some calculus and stuff. That's about where I stopped in high school, so I didn't pursue it after that. Right. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I, I'm still naturally drawn to, like, Sudoku and, like, yeah. Math Dooku and those right. kinds of So uh, when did things. the uh, drugs kick in? What were, you, what were the drugs? Uh, 15 is when I started smoking weed, and that was, like, not a big deal. You right, know? I, sure. I still don't think weed's... I, I mean, now I just think weed's a kind of a boring drug, really. Yeah. Um, but that was life changing for me. Yeah. Because before that it was like vandalism. And, and one of the main things I'd do for fun is I'd go to the mall and like, uh, smart off to people or like run around, <laughs> like see how fast I could run around and like almost bump into people. And just like, you know, it's so embarrassing. Some small town shit, about. buddy. Yeah. And I remember after the first time I smoked weed, I was like, well, I guess I don't have to go to the mall anymore. Yeah, that's over. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's just such a relief. <laughs> Everything looks different now. <laughs> yeah. And um, I I mean, I really took to it. I mean, my first time that I was high, I laughed for like five hours straight. And, and uh, I mean, it was like that for me the first several times. Yeah. And then it was... Went from week weekend warrior to like daily doser, and and it was it was finally, and then I was starting to I I was always very insecure and and didn't I always wanted to be more popular than I was and yeah. I wanted to fit in with the cool kids and yeah. I never did and I was and, and also that was another thing with getting into weed and stuff is like oh now I have like an in with yeah. the cool kids now you've got a built in group uh, uh, yeah you're, you're <laughs> yeah. part of a demographic right. you're part of a clique. Right, and so I started dealing weed like shortly after that. Wow, that was and, quick. Yeah, it didn't take me long. <laughs> I'll buy. I'll, I'll buy my friends. Uh, yeah, it was. It was like well, it, at first it was like well, I can save money by buying a quarter instead of an eighth. Uh, well, a half is so much more, uh, so much cheaper than an ounce is cheaper. And then it's like, well, since I have this ounce, now people are asking me for weed and so i could sell it to my friends and it all just that all started so what you'd, you'd buy it from a guy in large quantity and then just you yeah know, you had yeah, a guy could yeah i mean i was not uh i was not a successful drug dealer by any means <laughs> but but i made enough to cover what i smoked which yeah was like a- so you were one of those guys i guess we we're all like that a, a little bit because i was thinking about that the other day i keep getting waves of my childhood and and sort of you know what we would do or try to do just to hang out with fucking people i know and it's just like you can't explain it like you just feel outside of everything I you know, know. And, and then you know i guess you did all your weird shit but i was always uncomfortable and you know i could make people laugh i knew that yeah but i always felt like you know like it, i guess it was insecurity but like you just weren't 
Like he just didn't fit in with anybody. Yeah, it's fucking worst. That's I still, the way I felt. I still kind of feel like that every time I like you know I have to, I it's not so much make an effort, but like you know just making conversation. There's part of my brain going like I don't know I would never be talking to these people because they don't want why would they want to talk to me and and it just it's still there the self consciousness of it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I one thing that helped me was when I got into comedy in Boston uh, years ago. That's where I started, um, and I started becoming popular in the Boston comedy scene and having all these friends. Well, they we're all misfits, so you got yeah, all these... Yeah, yeah. Like, that was the best thing about comedy. It's like, oh, here's a bunch of other freaky, uncomfortable people. Right. You know, self-involved. But if you just <laughs> right, right. if you're just funny and you impress them, they're going to respect you. Yeah. And then you can stay out and drink all night and talk. But I remember thinking... I also remember thinking, man, I have been beating myself up all my life for not being popular enough and this is what popularity is this is like what popularity feels like like uh, it's it didn't change anything for me you know it, <laughs> you've it, had a lot it, of these experiences a big idea. You, you're about to plummet into a guy's home and you're like all right and then you finally <laughs> finally get accepted by people like no that, that was kind of disappointing <laughs> I, I find life to be very underwhelming I think that's been a big part of my life where I feel like life is, has been kind of oversold to me. Um, <laughs> by, I, I really by everybody. That. Well, they that they you know that that's part of civilization. They have to oversell it because they can't have everyone yeah. walking around going, "What's the point? I'm going to take myself out or take a few people out." Or, I mean, you know. Yeah, yeah. I but mean, you didn't buy into the religion thing, though. That was no. never any solace or. Or, or had no redemptive quality? Just the opposite. It drove me crazy because I thought at first when I was real young, I thought, because around like four or even five, I was like, huh, I'm having a very hard time understanding this. Like ha- Making the it, jump, like, the leap of faith. Making it add up to me. But I mean, I guess I, I was probably a believer-ish at the yeah. time as I was so young and that's what my parents told me. Take and, it for granted. You're sort of like, yeah, I believe in Jesus. And uh, it, it just wasn't, sh- it was shortly after that that I started questioning more and more and then I, I made up my mind like be- between fourth and fifth grade, between like making the transition from elementary school to middle school, yeah. I was like, no, this is absolutely wrong. And, but everyone that I knew believed in it i didn't know that there was anyone i didn't know there's such a thing as agnostic or atheist or anything like that i just thought every single person in the world believed this and so you were for like a long a, time i was like i must be crazy or, i like, guess i'm just crazy and yeah. then after a while i was like oh everyone else is crazy right and then it took me a long time to like and i don't think that anymore but that that was just kind of the transition of of my right. psychology and so it just fucked with me so much but and you were a church so rebellious right yeah but you're like a church every sunday guy oh yeah and then um that was, that was my wisconsin accent I heard it. Out there Came right out. didn't hide at that time <laughs> <laughs> usually i can't even hear my own ad. people are always like you have such a unique voice right? oh yeah like, oh like, yeah oh yeah <laughs> Oh, I heard it that time. <laughs> I hear it with my mom. My brother yeah. and I make her talk about Fargo once yeah. in a while for right. fun. Just to hear her go Fargo. Yeah, she she goes, oh, well, you know, Bob and Mary Beth, they're going on and on about how good this movie was. And finally watched it, and I was just, I didn't see it. It was so funny. I mean, who even talks like that? <laughs> 
But I never hear it myself. I did just there. So, um, yeah, I went to Wednesday um, CCD, it was called, uh, which is is basically like Sunday school. Yeah. But on Wednesday nights after school. Yeah, we did that. Jews did that. Yeah. Um, And uh, I just... Uh, I didn't handle it very well. That that was when I was I, I got in a lot of trouble in there. I was, uh, I was yeah because real they're smart off they're and, not yeah that's where you learn how to be an asshole and yeah. funny because the stakes are lower yeah, yeah and like you know the person teaching is just that lady that you see every week yeah, yeah, yeah. on Sundays like you're someone's mom you don't and, get grades this isn't affecting my future in any way I was a fucking terror man yeah and you're already pissed off at your parents and you're fucking off and like it's just like a free pass to try to make a grown up cry <laughs> yeah that's that's what it was for me that's exactly <laughs> what it was I mean I look back on my childhood and I'm like god I was such an asshole I hope I'm not. I hope I'm less than an asshole now. Did you have fire and no. brimstone? No, no, no. I didn't. I mean, I look at what other people had, and I'm like, well, what was I so angry? Like Tate, and Tate Tate's about? dad, the the minister. Yeah, crazy. Yeah, I mean. So when did the like? So because now you're. Well, we're going to work up to the hallucinogenics because it seems like you were sort of a born again hallucinogenic guy, in the sense that it didn't. It, it's recent. Well, not not so much. I mean, there's there's a few things. One, I started doing um, I started doing psychedelics shortly after um, I started smoking weed. So when it you took were fifteen, me years to to and start taking to alcohol. I didn't like alcohol the first several times that I. So had you took it. psychedelics like acid in high school. Yeah, yeah. When I was like fifteen, sixteen, I started. I did mushrooms for the first time, and then acid shortly after, and I loved it. I always loved it. It was, and I wonder, I wonder what kind of a douchebag I would be today had I never done a psychedelic because it really, it really got me looking at myself from a different angle and looking at life from a lot of different angles. That early. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, at first it was just like, you got a drug. Fortunately, no one ever gave me like heroin or meth or anything like that. But I was like, you got a drug. I'll do it. Whatever, whatever my parents and school tells me not to do, I am up for it. Well, it's good though, because like now in those towns, like that heroin's everywhere. It just wasn't yet. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I lucked out. And, um, and so I was taking psychedelics like, Woo, let's party. This will be crazy. And uh, that's a good um, attitude. I never had that attitude. I was always sort of like, what's going to happen? Yeah. You know, <laughs> yeah, but, like yeah. you were just took to it right away because you love that adrenaline shit. And there's yeah. a lot of adrenaline involved in the ups and downs of a trip. Yeah, there really is. You're like, here we go. Yeah. And I, I just handle it really, really well. Way better than a lot of people. I definitely don't advocate for it's. Not, they're not for everybody at yeah, all. Right. And, and a lot of people, I've seen people freak out and everything like that. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of it is a misconception and misinterpreting what what is supposed to come because to me it's like a especially in my adult life a meditative therapeutic aid but but i also once i started so i was always doing psychedelics until i got like my first serious girlfriend and then i i was for about 12 years i was in a series of long-term relationships and every girlfriend that i had kind of like poo-pooed my psychedelic and that's when you turned to booze and then I was I was drinking no I was drinking booze for from the age of like 19 I started I started finally um I was like oh I can talk 
to strangers if I drink this stuff, this uh, this ability that I've never had before. And sure, normally when I do it this drunk, I'm going to make a complete fool out of myself. But at least my mouth is opening and I'm not just shriveling in fear. And and that's when I, I really latched on to alcohol around those like college years, even though I didn't go to college. And that's when I phased out of smoking weed, which, it, I mean... Like I said, I still I find weed to be pretty boring. I'll, I'll so wait, so you graduate while, high school? Did you end up doing that? Barely. Yeah. And yeah, then, yeah. Then what happened? And then I so the plan was to m- graduate high school, get the hell out of there, move, become a famous stand-up comedian. Did you try doing comedy in high school? No, I I didn't know how. I didn't know where to start. What and made you want to do comedy? Of, who? When I was like nine or ten years old, I had a I had a friend uh, who was like uh, we were playing video games. Yeah, and he started laughing at. I was like making him laugh a bunch and he's like you should be a stand up comic I didn't even know what that was and he explained it's someone that stands up in front of a crowd of people and makes them laugh and I yeah. was like yeah that's, yeah. that's exactly but did you what watch comedy do. in high school did you like um, in high school I did yeah um, I didn't know I'd never seen stand up at that time like 9 or 10 but once I was once I was a little older and had less restrictions as far as what TV I could watch yeah. I watched all the stand up I possibly could like every single it I didn't care if I liked it or if it was my cup of tea or not I yeah. watched be, between the ages of 14 and and the time I got my Comedy Central presents which was I don't know 7 years ago or something like that I watched every single bit of stand-up that had ever been on Comedy Central. I, I would set the DVR anytime there was stand-up on. I didn't watch other shows. I just watched stand-up. You have favorites? Every day. Yeah, I did. I mean, you, of course. Oh, thank you. That's really <laughs> I, nice. I was actually a big fan of yours before Before we met in 2007 when right. I won this uh, award and whatnot, and you were super supportive of me. Where was that um, at again? In Aspen. Oh, yeah, that was yeah, that. Yeah, 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 yeah. The first time I had, yeah. had the thing, or it was on your uh, podcast. And um, I, I remember liking um, Zach Galifianakis a lot. Oh, early on, before Comedy Central, yeah. I would say um, uh, Stephen Wright and Emo Phillips right. had had an effect on me. Sure. And when I started, I was definitely more of like an absurdist comedian. Yeah. I was also terrified, too. So it kind of, I guess Stephen Wright kind of was like, he had a lot of stage fright starting out. Yeah. And that, that kind of led into that character a well, little bit. Well, it's interesting about those guys that can do that well and Zach a little too early on is that you know they really create almost their own time zone their own reality they have they hold the stage in such a different way that immediately you're not in a reality that you you would ever think you'd be in yeah yeah and I think part of it was too that I watched so much stand-up that they just stood to out. see anyone right, right. that was different, like Paul F. Tompkins or yeah. something like that. I right. remember being like, "Whoa, this is different." And yeah, because um, there is a pattern to it. Yeah, you know, if you watch a lot of it, there is sort of a con- continuation of tone. Yeah, that, you know, and then when someone shifts, you're like, "What?" You're yeah, like, oh. yeah, and I, I, I mean, and you know, you do it long enough, and you pick up all the tricks, and not all yeah. the tricks, but many of them, yeah, and without even knowing it, yeah. Like I watched an old tape of myself where I never fucking thought I did it in my, I would never have thought I did it in my life, but it was like 19 late 80s, and I'm doing some like shitty TV spot for a comedy club in New Jersey, and I'm doing that repetition of the setting up the premise. 
Yeah. Hey, people drive. Who drives? We all drive. You know that <laughs> yeah, that weird yeah. kind of hammering yeah, of uh, Chris drugs. Rock, Who kinda. does the drugs? Well, I mean, it's not just him because that was before yeah, him. Yeah. It's just a, a weird road thing right. of just sort of like, huh? Who likes the whatever? <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, when did I do that? <laughs> like, I didn't even know who that guy was. I was like a mathematician when I started comedy. I was like, everything was well. rule of three. I had my, all of my jokes timed to the second. There needs to be this number really? of laughs and in a minute. Really? And yeah, absolutely. Did you did you and, hit it? And uh, it, it took. I sucked for like two months, and then I was pretty good. That's after not bad. That. Two yeah, months. So yeah. that's interesting. So I you did were really well. Where'd you hear? Where'd you hear about the rule of threes and fives? I actually took a. Uh, I think I read some books. I think I. I, I even took a stand up class. Yeah. And uh, with who? Rick Jenkins, or not not Rick Jenkins. Rick Jenkins told me about it. Rich Gustus. Sure, I know um, Rich Gustus. And I, he start. I started with him back in Boston. It was just nice to have someone be like, "Hey, move the mic stand when you get on stage," or just tell me where the open mics sure. were, or just to have someone to bounce my idea off of before I said well, it. Well, how'd in you end up in Boston? I had no idea what I was doing. I was like, I'm going to move to New York or L.A. Didn't have any money. Didn't know what to do. Was was um, was just worried about, you know, I'd never really been outside my hometown. Yeah. And, and, and when it was always that's what I was going to do. But when it, when it came time to do it, I would get very nervous. and like, oh, I should I'd make up excuses. I should save up some money or, you know, whatever. And I had a friend that moved to Boston. I was like, well. I can go with a friend that's kind of safer to be with a buddy, and then I can I'll shoot down to New York and figure it out. And probably right. a year later, I'll move down to New York. Was kind of what I was thinking in Good my head. Good plan. And I had no. I got to Boston. I looked up comedy clubs in the Yellow Pages. Yeah. And called up comedy clubs. Comedy Connection, was, Nick's, yeah, Doherty's Comedy Vault. It was exactly that. And comedy I, studio. And the comedy studio. I called up those four clubs, and uh, and Rick Jenkins happened to live like two blocks from me or something like yeah. that. Or, or at least Rick my, Jenkins, the guy who created the studio. Yeah, my place was right on his way, on his walk to the studio, and so he dropped off this packet with all this information. And Really? Like a, like a, uh, like a printed package? Like a package that... You know, I think it was... I don't... I don't remember very clearly, but I think it was like a lot of stuff where as a club owner that a lot of new comics go to is probably just a bunch of pain in the ass questions yeah. that you get sick of answering. Oh, and right. So he just <laughs> typed them all up and yeah. printed it out and included like a couple free tickets to shows and stuff. And he's like, well, why don't you come and check out a free show, uh, a few shows for free. And then if you're still interested and give you a little stage time, I remember my first time I did it. It was going okay. And well, then, who'd you go when you went to see the people there with your first night out? Who was uh, who were the guys? I don't even remember. Really? Yeah. Um. I yeah. I don't remember at all. What year are we talking? I, oh, I remember Eric Andre was there. Yeah. My, the first time that I went on, Eric was, Andre was there, and I was like, "Wow, this dude is a lunatic." Well, because he was going to Berkeley School of Music at the time, I think. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds yeah. right. And, yeah. I remember we were talking in the back, um, and I was like, I'm about to go on stage for the first time, and he was really, really new as well. And I was I was worried because my stuff was, I was an absurdist, and I was also like into like more shock value-ish kind of yeah. stuff when um, uh, before I'd started. And I was worried about it, and then Eric Andre got up and did his thing, and I was like, "Oh well, I guess I don't have to worry about offending anybody <laughs> after that." Yeah. And um, and then 
And I remember afterwards, Rick Jenkins was like, well, this isn't really a place to like, this isn't an open mic, you know, there's paying customers and stuff, so maybe you should take a class. And well, so, so did you, you went and, up after Eric Andre? Did it yeah, go all right? It was fine. And then I had, I had this piece of material that required me reading something like I'd printed off the internet. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it was something really stupid. It was like, a, it was like some definition of hemorrhoids or yeah. something. I don't remember what. And I couldn't find the paper. And then, like, I panicked. And the math <laughs> guy still looked back. It's like, oh no, I don't have my butthole joke. Now, what am I going to it's do? It's a horrible feeling, though. <laughs> you know, in those first days where yeah, you know, you're yeah. just trying to get through five fucking minutes. Yeah, yeah. And then if a major wrench gets thrown into wow. the, it's like, oh God. But it was like, it didn't matter that it didn't go well. I didn't really expect it to go that well. I was like, it's my first time. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm yeah. going to need to figure this well, out. That's good. And and, uh, and I remember being terrified. I, I had horrible stage fright. Every time before my name was going to be called for like the first two months, I remember being like, I'm just going to run. I'm just going to leave. Oh, and how about never waiting for your next spot? That Those weeks where you're like, oh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I just couldn't, I couldn't handle it very well. And so, um, I mean, just just the fact that I got on stage was just. And you just kept chipping really away for me. Yeah. So you hang out there. Were you doing the one nighters and stuff around New England? Or yeah, I loved Boston for me, and where I think a lot of people in Boston didn't really take advantage of the scene was people would either do just one nighters or they just do like the comedy right. studio, same like thing, the cool yeah, 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 club or whatever. It was and, like that when I was. No there. one was getting out of their comfort zone. And I was always kind of like a hybridish comic because I had this absurdist stuff, yeah. but I also had jokes about doing construction and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, you gotta get you out know, there and, and do and the gigs, collar stuff, yeah. and and so I did everything. Yeah, I did everything I could. I stayed in Boston way longer than most people would have because I caught breaks and. Uh, well, you fly out to LA, or you fly to or go down to New York. Yeah, and... I was just interested in being a road guy. Even yeah. once I started getting late nights. I, I remember I was doing... Uh, what was the first late night spot? Conan? Yeah, Conan. After, uh, after At NBC? I did that HBO Aspen thing, I won an award for like best new comic. There Back when whatever. he was still at NBC in New York? Um, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. And, and then the Conan bookers at the time saw me there and um, had me on. I was on a bus. I was on the Fung Wah bus. <laughs> which oh, the is, Boston, New York bus? For people that don't know, it's it's like a $15 bus to go from Boston to New York, and like the shocks on it don't work. And I'm not sure they're a business anymore. Was there, they're always South Station? Very, Did it go from South Station? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Very, very shady, kind of. Mm-hmm. And, and you don't know if they were like running drugs. Yeah, yeah. Or like what was going on? I remember on that. And, but I never took it, but I remember hearing about it. And yeah, it's, it's around the area. It's something a lot of people make fun of. Um, but... I was on the bus. I got a call um, from Doug Adley. Said the Conan Bookers, who uh, uh, Frank saw me in uh, in Aspen, and was interested in maybe booking me because um, I just won this award. So a few different late night spots were, and I was like, well, Conan was the one that I I would watch because they used to show it on Comedy Central during the day. Yeah, and I worked third shift in a in a factory, and so that was the late night show that I could watch. Where was this? Um, where Where were you working in a factory? Arcadia, Wisconsin, right out about forty five minutes outside my hometown for about four years. Making for what? Furniture. Oh, okay. Yeah, making furniture, making parts. Um, I I was like a part carrier, so I drove like a pallet mover and and i don't even remember the name of it now thank goodness uh and a forklift around a little bit and and that kind of stuff and and running machines 
making uh making parts sometimes doing assembly line stuff sometimes doing shipping stuff um and um it was it was miserable but it also taught me a lot of discipline like yeah. i can i can sit and write like forever no problem and a lot of people can't do that that's true and and, and you can also drive a forklift apparently yeah and i can drive a forklift but just just the kind of letting your mind go into the monotony and just getting and just grinding it out and and getting yourself okay mentally with just over and over again doing the same repetitive monotonous action that will drive most people insane but at least um, if you're doing doing that in in service of your creativity absolutely there, there's some payoff yeah, yeah so you're on this bus and you get conan and they they call he's like well why don't you call frank and and see what um uh you know see what he has to say and i called him and he is like He's like, do you have um, do you have a, a late night set together that you can send me? Can you send me like a tape or something like that, or or um, put something on YouTube? And I was like, oh, I I, I don't have my computer with me. I'm on this bus in New York. And uh. Like, can you email me? I'm like, I don't. Can I email you in like a couple of days? And they were just like, well, do you just know what you would want to do? And I was like, yeah, I guess. And they're like, well, can you just do it for us over the the phone? phone? Sure, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I've done a lot of phone sets with Frank Smiley. (laughs) So so I'm like going through a setup, and then I'm like, so now here's where the audience gets really uncomfortable, and then and, and like explaining what the reaction yeah. of the and crowd then, will then, be during. And then Frank goes, "What else you got?" <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, honestly, I did my I did my five minutes, and he was like, he was like, "Well, if you think that's five minutes, you want to be on next Monday?" And I was like, "Okay." <laughs> and I went out, and I I really my first set, I kind of knocked it out of the park, and then they had me they had me on. I remember I sent him a DVD. Um, shortly after that, and they called me one day and they were like, um, they were like, we, uh, there was a problem with your DVD. It didn't, uh, it only played like the first three minutes. Yeah. And I was like, oh, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I'll send you another one. And they're like, well, well we really liked the first three minutes. So you want to be on again next Thursday or whatever? <laughs> it's like a week from now. I'm like, okay. And, and they were super nice. How many times you do it? I've done it five times now. Yeah, and um, do you think that was really the beginning of your kind of wave? Yeah, I mean, because I, I got from my first Conan set after the time I won that award in Aspen, I got eight TV appearances in a year, and so I was I was getting Comedy Central stuff. I did the show for BBC. I think I did Jimmy Kimmel around that time. Yeah. I did a thing for Showtime. And I was just, in my mind, I was just like, well, I guess I'm just going to be the most famous comedian ever. Like, this is where my trajectory is going. And, and you and, start and headlining did, in that time? Oh, yeah. Like, right away, I started headlining. And then I learned a lot Yeah, headlining. I was like, you can't just... I mean, this is fine for like a 25, 30-minute set, but 45 minutes an hour, people will pick up on your... Uh, it, you can be as odd as you want, but if you have the same kind of oddness to your structures, mm-hmm. people will pick up on it. Yeah. It's not surprising anymore. Right. And, and so I started telling a few more stories here and there and, and doing what I could to kind of get out of my comfort zone and expand what I was doing. And you got a girlfriend at this point? Yeah, I have a, I'm in a serious relationship, very much in love. Living and, down in Malibu yet? No, this was, this was not for years and years later. Um, this was... 
uh, I was still in Boston at this time. I, I lived in Austin for a couple of years before Malibu. And um, and I did my half hour Comedy Central Presents. Yeah. And, and I killed it on that. Went really well. And then I was kind of getting together an hour to do. Yeah. And then I looked at the hour and I was like, this is just garbage. Uh-huh. This is, I hate this. And um, How's the drinking at this point? Uh, pretty bad, you yeah. know. It was, I mean, it wasn't like, it, you know, it, yeah. it was pretty bad. I think most people would say it was pretty bad. To right. me, it's funny because being in, from Wisconsin, it was just like I remember when I first moved to Boston, people were like, "What the hell? Who drinks like?" And I was like, "Oh, this is just what I'm used to drinking like. This is <laughs> yeah. what everyone I know. This is right. how we drink." There. Yeah. And um, but but the blackouts were coming more often. I I was also like I just got cocky, you know. I was taking it for granted. I wasn't as disciplined. I wasn't writing as much or as right. well. And and um, and I was still like putting out a new hour each year. As far as like every time I went back to a new club, I had a new act. But yeah. I was never. I, I I started feeling very unsatisfied with what I was doing. Right. And that's when I started to have and I. And right around that time, too, I was like, I started feeling very trapped in this relationship at the time where I didn't, she was talking about wanting to buy a house and like maybe get married sometime. And I I had no interest in any of that. I was like, I was just starting to do international work. And this is like, my dreams are coming true. And, and I, I, that's what I wanted to focus on. I didn't, I didn't care about having a house or being married. I didn't, I don't have interest in marriage or kids. And, um, and, and so I kind of had a, like a bit of a breakdown and it wasn't, it wasn't bad, but just my drinking got worse. My material, I was really unhappy with yeah. and, and my career started plateauing and yeah. I, the work started drying up a little more yeah. and I made a very big change in my career. I also decided that I wanted to talk about more interesting things because when I started like doing like, uh, like I was. I could do like this really edgy stuff and it was like a little bit more novel at the time than what it is now. I mean, cause Doug Stanhope was a guy who had burned every bridge and wasn't yeah. like a household name. And Louis CK wasn't a household name. I caught breaks before Anthony Jeselnik was, and now skip to these many years later. Now all these guys are pretty well known. They're doing this better than I am. Right. And they're known for it. And so it kind of made me feel I'm like, well, where's my place in this? Like, yeah. I don't think I can do it better than these guys are. And I think there I think there's already like enough they already have the corner uh, market the corner. market cornered. Yeah. And um and I was always really doing international stuff. Everyone everyone internationally has these theme shows and right. puts together and does Did these Did you festivals. do Edinburgh? I did a few years ago, um, and it went, I would say bad, but I, I, it was a good learning experience, and I, I got like one good review in the Scotsman that's worth using right. for the next time around. But yeah, but that's I, like, yeah, that commitment of like, gotta keep coming back, and I'm like, well, I don't know. Yeah. Once I, is enough for me. I think with this new show I'm doing, I think it would now. be perfect for it, and I think that it would be better but I, I did not like the experience the first time around. But every time I'm like that, I always had this mentality, even like shitty clubs. There's so few clubs that I 
at the time when I started out wouldn't go back to. Even if I bombed, I'd right. be like, I want to go back there. I want to get them next right. time. Oh, I don't, really? I don't have that anymore. <laughs> like, I don't have, <laughs> they didn't like me? That's fine. I didn't like them either. But right. at the time, I was very, like, driven by that. And, All right. So, okay. So, like, you know, you got cocky. You had this realization. There's a lot of guys doing what you do. You're in this relationship that you're not happy in. Yeah. You're drinking too much. Yeah. You went to Europe and you realized, like, they want theme shows. Yeah. And how does it... How does it all fall apart? You're having a breakdown. I I realized that, so I started writing, my manager and agent, they were on me to do um, like TV shows, and I, which at the time I had no interest in. I remember when I first caught my breaks, they'd bring me into all these like TV oh, general studios meetings. and stuff, general yeah. meetings, and, and they'd be like, so what do you want to do? I'm like, I like being a stand-up on the road, and they'd be like, okay, well, <laughs> nice talking to you. <laughs> I look back on it. It's like what a waste. Like people, people would yeah, die for these opportunities. Yeah, they're you know? used to it. Um, but but like so many comics would wish that they could. Get yeah, a yeah. So but, when did the accident so, happen? So this was. So I started doing science themed things. Yeah. I started getting it. I I always read science. I mean, I'd be blackout drunk and I'd be like reading a physics book like right. after bar time. Um, which is probably why I don't remember physics very well. <laughs> um, I, I started, I got in this new relationship when I moved to Malibu and I was, I was looking to put together maybe some TV show at the time. My, About science? My, yeah. My, I, I wanted to do like a science themed thing. At first it was going to be physics and it wasn't working out. I was experimenting with things and it was hard to make physics funny. My my girlfriend, my new girlfriend, smoked more weed than normal, and so I was smoking more weed than I was used to, and we were watching a lot of Animal Planet, and um, and so I was writing a lot of like relationship jokes because I'd just gone through this really bad breakup and was in this new exciting relationship and having all sorts of fun sex and blah yeah. blah blah, and then also writing a lot of silly animal jokes at the same time, and then they just kind of started blending together, and I was like, maybe I'll make like a TV show about the science of sex or something like that, which I later abandoned and I felt like there's too many people kind of doing something like that. Um, but so I started just looking into it and I, and got me into like evolutionary psychology and biology, which just changed the whole way that I looked at the world. And I, I said, I want to be talking about this stuff on stage. And I try a couple jokes and it wouldn't work just doing like a one joke of it. And then here's like another drinking joke right. or something like that. And so I realized if I want to to make the setup pay off, I need to set up something and then keep on talking about it and keep on building on it. And that's when I started doing theme shows. My first whack at it was I had a Netflix special mating season, which, to be honest, I'm not terribly happy with. Yeah. Because it was like my first whack at trying to figure it out. And I wish I would have done more challenging material, which I had. I just selected more accessible material because... To me, the idea of like, if I can get people that have no interest in hearing about science to hear a little bit about evolution, I think that would be awesome because I was, I was doing shows in like Texas where I'd have some cowboy come up and be like, man, I never thought I'd laugh at a science joke. And I was like, oh man, finally, because I've been such an angry atheist my whole life. And yeah. my jokes before that were like, here's why religion is stupid, yeah. you know? And so now I had this new take on like, here's this interesting thing that you might not know about. Right. And, and so that's what I did with uh, mating season. And it's not that there weren't jokes on it that I wasn't ultimately uh, that I still don't think are funny is just like my delivery wasn't because I lacked confidence at the time and that sort of thing. And actually, 
And so then I I started figuring it out. I wrote this whole act about the the idea of negative emotions and how they evolved and where they come from and why they're important. And it was going pretty well. And then I broke both my feet hiking. Um, and I had to, and both my heels broke. Um, and, and, and by the way, at the same time, I had started reaching out to scientists um, and getting to know scientists because I was like, maybe I'll put together a show in LA. I don't know what I'm doing with this and decided I was going to make a podcast because I was having all these lunches with interesting people. And, and like, I helped teach a class at UCLA one time. And, and I was, I was just having my mind blown by these new ideas. And I was like, if I would have recorded this conversation, people would love this. Yeah. And, and then right. It was like, how often do you do the podcast? It's, it's weekly. What's uh, it called, called again? Here We Are. Yeah. You can go to herewearepodcast.com. It's like evolutionary, psychology, biology, behavioral economics, neuroscience, kind of all all life stuff. So I stay away from like physics and like chemistry, anything that's like very, very small. And right. It doesn't really apply to day-to-day well, how life. Do you, how do you break both heels hiking? So um, a buddy of mine, we were hiking. Um, <laughs> long story short, he wanted to jump off this thing that was too high. I was in the best shape of my life because I had, I had now at this point been sober for close to three years, I think. And I wasn't counting days. I didn't go to AAA yeah. or anything like that. But it was, it was close to three years. Yeah. And, um, and I rock climbing like crazy had... I, I've never been fit in my entire life except for like this one year. And so I had just like this Superman complex. Yeah. I just thought I could do it. And like I've explained, I'm a crazy adrenaline junkie. Yeah. And I thought I was, I knew this was too high and my buddy wanted to do it. And I was like, ah, you know, all right. I, I think I can maybe make, maybe I'll break a heel is what I thought. Cause I've broken a heel before. I did it in high school, jumping off of a houseboat onto a dock. And it just wasn't that big of a deal. Yeah. It was just a little chip, had to walk on my toes a little more. Yeah. And, uh, it wasn't, it was like a couple months. It was uncomfortable. Not right. that big of a deal. Right. And I was like, you know, worst case scenario, I'll do that again. <laughs> um, but it's, I love pushing it. I love just pushing myself yeah. as much as I can. Uh-huh. And it's got me in so much trouble in my life, the law and everything else. But um, I I jumped off this uh, thing that was too high, and uh, one of my heels exploded. Uh, oh. I, I heard it happen. <laughs> I heard it. like I heard the sound shoot through my body. This is what all listeners, and then, peop- and then people that know me are like, God, is he talking about his fucking feet again? Yeah. <laughs> because I talk about it on the podcast yeah. all the time. And really, it's not that big of a deal. They broke both it's of them a, like that? Yeah, yeah, at the same time. They both exploded? Uh, no, 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 no. One, one was not a big deal at all. One right. was just a little chip. And, right. And it was... It sucked, but yeah. it was by comparison. It was. It felt like. So, would you have to get a new heel put in? Um, uh, they they put. Uh, it's on the the cover of my album is an X ray of my foot actually. because uh, I I made an album about it called My Big Break. Yeah. And I talk about. So it fit really well into the negative emotion thing that oh, I good. was putting. Well, that's good. Um, and and you so new, yeah, I needed bit. a plate and screw. <laughs> yeah, I needed some new bits. <laughs> well, it's what I learned from it was that. Because the act was going pretty well, but this is like, here's a fun science thing, and then jokes about it, but people don't necessarily attach to that. Right. And then once I had something to make it personal, 
that's when people really started, or maybe they just felt sorry for me because I was on crutches on stage <laughs> or whatever, but it really felt like people started connecting more once I had something personal. Right. Um, and I never really liked doing personal stuff that much unless it was like outrageous. Right. You know? And, um, so it got you so, more comfortable in that. And it's, I spent like three months in my parents' basement cause I couldn't, I couldn't care for myself. My place in Malibu had like 50 steps and there was just no way I could get up with bo- both my feet broken with like get, trying to get groceries and stuff like that. Yeah. And, and what happened to the girl? Um, uh, um, we had, we had broke up right before I broke my feet. She got out just in time. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and we're still, we're still good friends actually. Yeah. yeah. We had broken up just before we were actually still living together at the time. We were going to ride out our lease because yeah. we were, we were actually great friends. We yeah. just realized, like, as a couple, we just fought every day and uh, yeah. were very passionate. Great sex, horrible fights. Yeah, I know that one. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and and so, so when when that happened, and and then I I just like didn't give a fuck anymore, which I needed because the road will make you. Like I, when I started, I didn't give a fuck if I offended or walked a couple people. It was like right. as long as I was getting laughs and like p- people were. As long as I was killing, yeah. I didn't care. And then you get on the road, and then you get those comment cards, and people, you make bookers nervous, and you know you have a couple bad nights, and the work starts drying up, and it just made me very safe. Yeah. And when I broke my feet, it just kind of made me reanalyze my life a little bit, and I was like, I'm gonna do exactly what I want to do. Yeah. And I thought my last album, it didn't, it didn't like catch on or gain any popularity or anything but i still to this day i think it's a fantastic album i thought i thought it was my best my big break yeah um and and i was like okay i have i know how to do this now and then what happened with the act that i'm doing now which is about psychedelics is was just it just happened very naturally all that happened was people would have me on their podcast to talk about breaking my feet. And they'd be like, what were you doing in Sedona? And I'd say, well, I was going there to do ayahuasca for the first time. When, how'd um, you get from breaking feet to Sedona? Um, Sedona's where I broke my feet. And uh, I was going to Sedona to do ayahuasca. But before I got to do that, I broke, broke my feet. <laughs> and, and so then they're like, what's that? And then I explained sure. that I'd been smoke, uh, doing DMT and smoking a lot of DMT and stuff. And, um, and some of my ideas, uh, I, I use it to develop new kind of neuroscience ideas that I'm tinkering with yeah. and trying to run by people. Um, and DMT is fast acting, very fast acting. You smoke it and you feel it within seconds and it lasts for about 10 minutes yeah. and it's the most intense experience that you'll ever have. Even as, as someone who is bored by skydiving, yeah. I do DMT sometimes. I'm like, that was, that was too much. <laughs> that, that was, that was a little intense. Why? What happens? It's you go to a, what seems like, I believe it's the inner workings of your mind. Uh, a lot of people call it the spirit molecule because you go to often what seems like a completely different world and there's like beings there talking to you and like alien-like things and like buildings talking to you and stuff. You smoke it and it's, my first time I smoked it, the the guy, I was like, I, I was like, sure, you know, if it's a psychedelic, I'm down for it, whatever. Yeah. Um, I was a little nervous, but the dude was really smart. He's a computer programmer. His, his wife was, or his lady at the time was a was a neuroscientist. Yeah. I was like, oh, these are bright people. They're not like crackheads or, right. you know, burnouts or anything like that. Yeah. Not, like dreaded hippies that, uh, you know, yeah. they're not any of that. 
And um, and so I went, and he's like, the first hit, you're going to feel weird. The second hit is like a crazy intense mushroom trip. Like, that's when most people bail. They can't handle it. Don't bail. You have to keep going. You have to get that third hit. You, like, break through the space. And I was like, yeah, whatever with the buildup, you know? Yeah. And this is, like, everyone builds up life for yeah. me. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's never. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Just disappointing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's always disappointing. Yeah. I had that first hit right away. I was like, oh, I'm turning into a cartoon. That's weird. Yeah. And I had that second hit. And then, and then everything just started shaking and fucking going crazy. And I was like, oh, no. I, I've, I've made a horrible decision. <laughs> like, I've just done every drug that there is, like, all at the same time. Is right. what it, like, I think I'm going to die. Yeah. And then he saw my face. And he's like, one more. <laughs> and, I, and I'm filling up this bong. And then I just remember the sense of peace washes over me. And then everything, everything I've ever known, everything, all of this perception just goes, gone. Yeah. And then it's just me and this bong in space. <laughs> Brought the bong with me. <laughs> 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 Nothing else. Just me and the bong. There wasn't stars or planets or anything. It was just a black, empty yeah. void. Yeah. And, and, uh, and then the smoke inside the bong turns into electricity. And the electricity turns into codes. And I'm like, this is going to be so strange. And then I smoked all those codes up. And then I shot through this tunnel of fractals and lights and impossible colors. And and then I, uh, impossible colors is like a cliche thing in the psychedelic oh, community. Yeah. Actually, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm feeling very trite right now. Yeah. Um, and then... And then I landed in this like hologram computer chip city made out of lights and it was like talking to me it, uh, and I knew exactly what I was saying. It was like thoughts without words um, because it's in my mind what, yeah. I, what I think that it is. It's yeah. just like the non-conscious world and it's kind of like the movie Inside Out. Yeah. Um, and, and so this guy's like, welcome. And I'm like, what the fuck? Yeah. And he's like, so happy to see you. I'm like okay i'm like i'm a shane i'm on a couch i just smoked dmt they said it only lasts for 10 minutes okay i'll be okay and and it's like no 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 pay attention pay attention don't get overwhelmed and i was like this is how i talk and it starts building these buildings and i'm like okay all this stuff is very difficult to explain <laughs> and then it's like it's like now do you understand and i'm like i guess and then <laughs> And then I was like, do you really want to see something? Like, it's going to show me the meaning of life or yeah. whatever. And I was like, okay. And then I was like, look over here. And then I looked, and there's that, like, weird cartoon cat from, like, Alice in Wonderland. Or yeah, whatever. yeah. Cheshire cat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And just, like, laughing at me. And I looked back, like, what the fuck? And he's like, oh, I'm just fucking with you. And that was it. And I was just 100% back to normal. As clear-headed as I've ever been yeah. in my entire life going, what the fuck? was that and i need to try that again sometime <laughs> <laughs> not right away not right away yeah it took me it's still it's it's hard to it's hard to build up the courage every time i've probably done it like 80 90 times now but it's over in the last three years i'd say and every time it's like oh can i i don't know if i can 
Dude, and is it different so... every time, or do you go back to some of the same places? Sometimes I go back to the same. I, I have like four different storylines yeah. usually that I go back to, and yeah. then sometimes it throws me for a loop and is completely different. But there's like this purple woman that I see um, all the time. Uh-huh. That's the crazy one because yeah. it's just like other people see her and stuff. And uh, it's really strange. And then, um, and then there's just this one that's these weird. What do you mean, other people see her? Um, so I, I, uh, I. The, so the craziest thing that happened. So I, I would do it, and like this crazy thing would happen, you know. And I'd see this, and then I'd, I kind of just start reading a lot, and I'd just start reading neuroscience, and just figure out like, okay, how how could the brain be doing this? Yeah. And just figuring out how the brain must be running simulations. Like I believe that right now, um, as I'm selecting words, my brain is in, in milliseconds running through a number of simulations as to which words I should pick and how they'll be received by you or in, in the audience. And then it's deciding very quickly. With, right. And, and, and this especially happens in like high salient moments. Like if you, if you break your feet and you need to figure out if you need to get to the hospital, take a helicopter, you know, what are you going to die? You know, stuff like that. This, this really comes on and it runs all these simulations and you can kind of see them clear, right. clearer. Um, and so I was just kind of developing kind of some, some interesting ideas and, and sometimes bouncing them off. I, if I had a neuroscience scientist on my show afterwards, if they seemed cool, I'd be like, Hey, I have this idea, but, and, and then, so the craziest thing that happened. Um, sometimes, yeah. a lot of times they're like, "That's interesting." Right. That is, I'm going to steal that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's. I've talked. I don't want to blow up anyone's spot, but I've talked to a neuroscientist or two. That's like, yeah, I smoked DMT in college, and that's yeah. why I'm a neuroscientist now. <laughs> and and um, I so. Everything was very, and and I still think there's explanations for the purple woman, but this is what happened. I did, um, it was about time 20, and I was, you get kind of deeper and deeper each time. At yeah. first, it's just like, usually like colorful patterns and stuff. Most people don't like talk to anyone or see yeah. anything. Um, and, and at first, it's kind of like you're watching a movie, and yeah. then after a while, it like wraps around and is panoramic, and then after a while, it like becomes you, and you are it, um, and it's everything. And it's like this weird, like flat pattern. It's like this imperceivable dimension. Um, it, it's it's very difficult to ex- articulate. Um, but I had one day. I was, I was, uh, I went to this buddy's house where I first did it, and he gave it to me. And afterwards, and he played me this song. And afterwards, I was like, he's like, how'd you like the song? And I was like, well, it was, it was good. It was, it was a good trip. I, I just, I wish you would have played one without words because I can't tell the difference between like what I'm hallucinating and what is right. in the music. And he's like, oh, there's no words in that song. <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> because then I remembered what the words were. It was like, this is, this is existence. This is everything. And um, I was like, well, that's, that's DMT for you. It's crazy. Um, you know, I, I don't really put a lot of stock in it. Yeah. I, I don't put a lot of stock in this perception. I don't put a lot of stock in that perception. I say question everything, you know. Right. Keep evaluating. Um, and and so then we we went to dinner, and he's like, well, you can try again tonight if you want. And so I I smoked it again, and this time I went in, and there was like the, me and this other guy. It was like me in another dimension or something like that. And we are kind of trying to figure out how to – how to like connect these two worlds or how, how this is happening, how uh-huh. we're able to communicate. And then after that, there was just this weird carnival and there's this purple woman. It seems like I knew her for lifetimes. And like 
millions of lifetimes. It seemed like we, uh, it was like, hey, yeah. so good to see you again. I'd never seen her before consciously, but it was just like, I know this woman and she's dancing and like, I can dance with her if I want to, but I don't have to. It doesn't yeah. matter. And, and there's like this guy playing an organ behind her at this weird carnival. And the message is like, well, all this is going to keep on happening again and again. Yeah. So it doesn't really matter. And uh, just, you know, have fun. And um, and that was the message that I remember. I got out of it, and I was like, you know, it was weird. Is there was this purple woman? She is dancing. She is wrapped in these codes. There were like these. It was like a rope with like snake scales that had little codes inside of them that yeah. she is wrapped in. And um, I was like, you know, that's just crazy. That's DMT for you. That's, yeah. You just see crazy shit. Didn't think much of it. And then the next day, I went and I gave it to someone for their first time, someone that wasn't connected with these people. I didn't share this story with them. And at the time, I made I was especially careful to never put any ideas in someone's head before yeah. they do it for the first time. So I just wouldn't tell them. I just explained, you know, it's going to be intense. You're going to see some weird stuff. I, don't, I can't tell you what you're going to see. And he um, smoked it. And the first two minutes, he was just like, I've had too much. I've had too much. I've had too much. And, and I was, I was like, yeah, yeah, you know, the first couple minutes, I told you they're, yeah. they're pretty intense. And, and as soon as I said that, he like the smile comes on his face and he's just like, oh man, they love you in here. And, and I was like, what? I, I, I was like, yeah, there's like this feeling of love is what I said to him. And then he's like, no, 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 Shane, they love you. And I was like, what are you talking about? And he goes, there is this purple woman in here who says that she just needs you to know that she loves you. And I was like, what? And he's like, yeah, there's this carnival. And there's this purple woman in here who says she knows you really well. And you come in here all the time. <laughs> and she just needs you to know come that she on. loves you. I'm not kidding. Uh, Bob Kazravi he's a comic in Austin really funny dude and uh, and I was like what did she look like and he's like you know what the strangest thing was was she had this like serpentine thing I didn't know the word serpentine Yeah, it was like a way better way of explaining exactly what it looked like that really fucked with my head man so where do you come down on that I think that possibly uh, my, my best take it trying to figure out how the brain's doing this is that perhaps our brains are constructed in similar ways. Like perhaps when I look at this microphone from this angle, it's triggering almost the exact same neural patterns that are triggering in your brain. When you look at this microphone at this exact same pattern. And if there's these set neural patterns that kind of make life easier to, so you don't need to figure out what a door is. Right. So you have this kind of flexible template so, like, a robot can't look at that and be like, that's a door. It yeah. would need to be shown a picture of every door. And and at least rudimentary robots, they, they have it down a little better now. But we have these kind of flexible templates where we have this idea of, like, what a perfect door is in our mind or a perfect circle or a perfect square or something like that. And then it, it's very flexible, and that's how we're able to just look at something and be like, boom, that's a door. Like, we really take it for granted, okay. the processing that's happening. So if you instead artificially stimulate these areas, so instead of this being triggered by external stimulus, if it's triggered by internal stimulus, maybe you could see what your brain is perceiving rather than perceiving what you're seeing. It's okay. just happening in reverse. That's, that's my... 
it's really confusing to me. I don't know how to. But wait, but what this. about the idea that not unlike uh, uh, a cat senses an earthquake or rain, that you know when we're in proximity to each other's minds, that you know maybe out of his fear that there was some other kind of communication going on that was seeking commonality with you. I'm starting to become much more open to that idea than I ever have. I mean, I'm a science guy. I talk with scientists. I read science books. And, and like, nothing in, in well, that's what e- I've read makes a convincing argument that that is possible. Well, but, I, but I've always but thought about that. how do you... Right. How, how do you explain some of this? Well, yeah, but that's the thing is that, like, you know, we have these huge brains, right. and much simpler brains are capable of not so much telepathy, but right. but but expanding the senses to a point where they're sensitive to things that we're not aware of, but it doesn't mean we can't be sensing. Yeah. And and why wouldn't that happen? I think that I think that possibly there might be a this flat pattern that's a dimension that is running through everything. Right. That, that is all one thing and we are all it. Right. And everything is it. Right. The, the frequency. It, the frequency. It. And that that we're kind of like our bodies kind of like bubble up in it, but it's still a part of there is no disconnect from it. And it's sort of like uh, the Jungian thing, like a collective unconscious. Yeah. And some and, other stuff. I'm starting to be much more receptive to those ideas. Oh, you're gonna than, get you're gonna get mystical. I, I know, I know. No, so, gonna, I, I don't. I, it's no, gonna happen. No, full circle. No. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm starting to be. Uh, I'm starting to become the preacher I've always hated. Sure, yeah, that's right. You start out with science, and you end up, <laughs> you end up Timothy Leary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's I mean, okay. I still, even if, even if all of that's true, I still think that where I can add my value is in thinking through things skeptically and critically and taking a neuroscience approach to it because there's already enough people out there Doing that, that are like, there's thing. a different dimension. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there, there's already enough of that. Well, angle. no, I think and your, so, your struggle or your sort of, you know, um, growth or, um, sort of exploration of that, the fight, yeah, because yeah. like you know, a lot of them are just sort of like just take it, sort of like I was in a different place, but you like you know, it'd be interesting that as you continue to resist through skepticism and science, that you know, I can see next year's show is sort of like it's out there. Yeah, you know, like yeah, I, yeah, yeah, I've applied all practical scientific skepticism <laughs> to this, and I know a lot of people that know this lady. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, and I see this lady all the time, and then other people do when they're with yeah. me and stuff. Quite so, a bit. so that's what the show. What's the show called? So uh, it's called A Good Trip. Uh, it used to be have a better name. It used to be called This Is Your Shane on Drugs. But then everyone thought I was going to be on drugs. Right. I thought I was going to be like glorifying heroin or crack or whatever. Right. And it's all about psychedelics. And and so I talk about DMT for about like the last 20 minutes. It's more of like I, I build toward that. I need with to set up life. a lot of stuff. With, with, with um, I, I kind of break down the history of psychedelics. I talk about my experiences with them and, and what where I think people are misperceiving what is often called a bad trip is actually right. often a difficult trip that people can learn and benefit a lot from. And, and, um, some of the neuroscience behind the studies that have been done on LSD and mushrooms and that sort of thing. And then I eventually get into, but really it's about perception. One of the, one of my favorite things that I've ever thought of, and I've been able to articulate, and I thought of it during a mushroom trip and, 
like it's not this funny but at the time i was rolling around laughing about this for like 10 minutes was it was the idea of because i started taking it too seriously i started getting too wrapped up in in this trip and being like no this is real or whatever and i thought no that's what we that's what our brain tricks us into doing all the time and the reason why you do it more during a trip is because it's so short and it's so salient and it's so different. And your brain just loves stuff like that and really attaches stuff to like that. So I thought of this thought experiment that always gets me out. Anytime I'm having a trip where I feel like I get, I'm getting too into it, I think about this. It's that imagine instead there's someone whose brain was chemically like they're on LSD. They're just born this way. The world's all colorful and rainbow-like and that's just what perception is like to them and then one day someone gives them a pill that brings them to our perception it would seem just as bonkers and just as crazy it'd be oh my god i get it now it's like there's these things called jobs and like entry level positions that one can obtain and then it's like there's these hierarchies you know and you just show up on time each day and sure you gotta step on a few toes (laughs) oh my god it's like there's a potential boss man inside each and every one of us holy shit you know yeah and then you'd go back to your dumb boring lsd reality (laughs) okay buddha jesus whatever demon clown you know yeah 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 yeah. and and i think that's that's what my takeaway from psychedelics has been and what i hope the takeaway from the show is is just to just to kind of let's question our perceptions a little bit it's just been this wonderful mechanism to talk about perception and consciousness because i think that a lot of us um uh, our brains have evolved to give us a perception that isn't always in our best interest. Right, and we take for granted. And we take for granted. Well, it it sounds great. You know, I appreciate you talking to me about this. It got me excited. It made me feel kind of trippy, and I haven't <laughs> been trippy in a long time. But I, I will say this, uh, as much as, you know, uh, you're excited about this, try to stay tethered. Yeah, 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 I know. <laughs> And I'll be. Uh, I'll look forward to talking uh, yeah, to you in absolutely. a year. Yeah, when you're you're dressed uh, differently and wearing a lot of dangling things, <laughs> <laughs> and you completely this, shifted over to that <laughs> other perception. This is one of many. I love doing themed things. This is. I'm. I'm hoping. I'm putting together a show about behavioral economics right now, and I'm hoping to talk about a lot of topics in the future. This is one that's got me a lot of attention, and it's been a fun show to put together, and I'm just super excited. It's now a 75-city tour, which is going to be like, th- it was originally going to be 30 or 40 cities, and and this is the biggest thing I've ever put together, and, and people have been coming out to these, sh- I've been packing shows for oh, the great. first time in my career, and people like stand in line afterwards, they want to tell me their stories, they want to ask me, I've never experienced anything like this. And that's so, great, man. Yeah, it's Congratulations. A, it's really wonderful. All right, thanks, thanks for, for talking. having me. Yeah, man. That's it. Go see Shane. Sounds like a compelling show. Sounds like you're going to need to get your mind blown afterwards. Get your mind blown at the show and then go blow your mind with some stuff. Let's do some trippy jams, man. Yeah, man.
Boomer lives.